Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. I thought it was interesting as I was looking at this text just today that I've always quoted this, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And today I noticed the government shall be upon his shoulder. And it struck me. He has such big shoulders It ain't nothing for the government to just be on one of them. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, you may not be aware of this, but this particular text of Scripture was spoken by the prophet Isaiah and written down more than 700 years before Jesus came. 700 years. In fact, Isaiah is a unique prophet. When we look in the scripture, we really see that he is the greatest, what we call, messianic prophet. He prophesied, he spoke of the coming of Jesus, of the coming of the Messiah, more than any other person in all of the pages of the scripture. And Isaiah is an interesting book because it has 66 chapters, And the Bible has 66 books. And the first 39 chapters deal with God's judgment on the sin of the nation of Israel and Judah and the evil in the world and how God can't just look away from the vile things people were doing. He can't look away from it. But then the last 27 chapters capture this idea that he'll send a servant, a suffering servant who will take the fall for his people. And if you look at the story of the Bible, what you find is there are 39 books in the Old Testament that tell us about God's dealings with one particular nation, all the nations of the world, but one nation in particular, and how that nation departed and did their own thing over and over again. And God sent them prophets, and God pleaded with them and said, come back to me, come back to me. And like a husband who was heartbroken and had a wayward wife, that's actually the way he speaks so often, he speaks to this people and he says, come back to me, come back to me, as a brokenhearted husband and lover. And then in the 27 books of the New Testament, we see the story of redemption as Jesus lands on planet earth. And begins to restore creation. So Isaiah is a microcosm of the rest of the Bible. And we see in those 66 chapters this story of a Messiah that's going to come. A suffering servant that's going to come and make right what's wrong. And I just want you to notice some of the things that Isaiah says here. The first thing he says is to us a child is born. Did Did you know that the hope of the world is always wrapped up in the birth of a child? Think about that for a moment. You know, many times in, in our age, in our time, we're, we're taught somehow to believe that children are bad and that we need to get rid of them or have as few of them as possible or kill them in the womb or whatever it may be. We have come up with an idea. We've come up in a time that looks upon life and discounts it. We cast it to the side and we don't value it. 
like past generations did. And yet when we look in the scripture, one of the things we see, a recurring theme over and over and over again, is that God redeems the world and makes the broken stuff right through a baby, through children, through the birth of a child, through weakness. He comes in weakness and lands on the stage of of this world, and, and that little baby begins to make right what's wrong. See, the hope of the world's always wrapped up in the birth of a child. Because every child represents possibility, potential, and hope. When Jesus was born, he completely fulfilled the possibility, the potential, and the hope that we're all looking for. God came down into a body when Jesus was born. And I've been telling our church, in kind of a funny way, but Jesus is God in a bod. Think about it. God in a bod, and that's really what the incarnation is all about. God came in to a body. I love this poem by Unknown. Have you ever noticed that Unknown has a lot of stuff out there? Songs, poems, they're, they're prolific. Unknown said this, More light than we can learn, more wealth than we can treasure, more love than we can earn, more peace than we can measure because one child is born. And that's really what's so profound about that statement. To us, a child is born. And I love that. To us, a child is born. The hope of the world comes in the birth of a child. Secondly, to us, a son is given. Now, we might think they're the same thing, but really they're not. A child becomes a mature son or daughter who represents the character of his or her father. He is given to us as a son who can fully reflect what the world needs to know about God. You know, when Jesus walked the earth, he said something over and over again through the pages of the gospel, especially the gospel of John. He said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. If you're looking, if you're a skeptic, if you're a person that's on a a journey of seeking to understand religions and God and the Bible and comparative religions and what what are the differences between them, and you know, you're you're kind of trying to to figure this out, to to boil it down. Let me let me boil something down for you that makes the gospel unique. And that is that no other religion, no other philosophy, no other idea out there captures ideology. Nothing captures the idea that God himself will come down and become one of us. See, religion is the story of humanities trying to reach up to God and somehow attain to heaven or nirvana or some form of peace. And yet... The story of the gospel is God looked upon us and said, you can't reach me. You're unable. You're lost. You're dead in sin. You're beyond my reach. I'm transcendent. I'm outside above it all. And your sin has brought about this chasm between us. And I'm going to intervene. And I'm going to come right into your world. I'm going to step down right into the place where you live. And I'm going to become one of you. I'm going to become vulnerable and weak. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to experience rejection. I'm going to know what it's like to be fully human. And that's what he did in Jesus Christ. And that's unique. You can't find that anywhere else. There's no other message that even approaches that. 
Man-made religion is we're going to try to reach up to God and the gospel is God reached down to us in the person of Jesus to rescue and redeem us. And it's beautiful. There's nothing like it. The Son is given. If you've seen Him, you've seen the Father. If you've ever wanted to know what God is really like, go read the New Testament. Start with the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just look at the story of Jesus. Follow Him. Even if you're not sure at this point, if you're a skeptic, I don't know about Jesus being God and all that. I don't know about His death on the cross. I don't know about His bodily resurrection. I have some skepticism about that. But you know what I'm going to do with an open mind and an open heart? I'm going to go crack that book, and I'm going to start to read that, those Gospels, those four stories, those four narratives, and I'm going to look at what these four authors had to say about Jesus of Nazareth. And you're going to find something powerful. You're going to find that... That picture is the clearest and most beautiful picture that we've ever been given of who God himself is. And then it says the government will be upon his shoulder. When Jesus came on the scene 2,000 years, it was to establish a different kind of government that began in the human heart. See, the problems we experience in all the human governments throughout history begin in the human heart. It's real easy for us to stand, isn't it, and say, the government, the government did it, right? They're responsible. But have you ever considered that the government is people like you and me? And they, the reason that they mess it up, always, doesn't matter what party they are in, the reason they mess it up is because they got the same problem we all got. It's called sin. It's called a heart that gets corrupted by power. It's, it's an inward issue. The problem with us is inward. Right? It's not, it's not out there. And we live in a time when we have learned the fine art of the blame game. We live in the time of the blame. We live in the most litigious, that means to sue a lot. We live in the most litigious society in the history of humanity. And that tells me that we're out to get something from somebody because somebody did us wrong. And that's, that's how we are, you know, all the way back to the garden, Adam and Eve right in the garden, right? And what happens? They partake of the fruit and God comes to them. And the first thing he says to Adam is, you know, what's up, dude? He doesn't say it, but that's my paraphrase, Sherman's paraphrase. And, and Adam's like, it's that woman you gave me. And then she says, it's a, a snake, and the blame game begins, and the shifting begins. But the problem is right here. Jesus came to change our planet from the inside out, because outside-in change always leads to oppression and suffering. Man-made religion is about changing outward behavior while the heart and nature of a person remain unchanged. Jesus' coming is about changing the inward heart and nature, leading to true godliness and a change of behavior. See, his government will fill everything and reign over everything ultimately, but it starts in the heart and it starts as a seed. When Jesus came, he came to plant that seed in each of us. The seed of the life of God. So that it might grow starting here and move out into all the world. And touch all the world. And his name shall be called. That's the next thing the text says. His name shall be called. In Hebrew thought, a name represented the character, nature, deeds, and overall life of a person. Parents named their children names that would personify their hopes and dreams 
for their child's life to come. The titles that follow capture all that Jesus would be, would become for the world and for all time. Well, they don't capture all of them. There are a few of them. But think about it. His name captures something about him. And what's the first title or name that he's given? Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. Not just good counselor. You know, I've known some people, they know some good counselors. Yeah, go over to so-and-so. They're a good counselor. But I've never heard anybody say, he or she is a wonderful counselor. But he's truly a wonderful counselor. And these two words capture the idea um, in, in wonderful counselor of, of a ruler that is wondrous, extraordinary, marvelous, and who has counsel, teaching, advice, direction, and leadership that is pure. As earthly leaders fail and disappoint us, we can be comforted and confident to know that Jesus is the wonderful counselor. When he walked the earth, all the people were astounded at his teaching and wisdom. And still, to this day, all over this planet, in every single little... Up, up, I've been in villages way up in the mountains of the Philippines. And you know what people are doing up there? They're opening up Bibles and they're digging in and they're trying to figure out what this wonderful counselor has to say to them about their life. Maybe all they're doing is planting rice and trying to eke out a living up on, on the side of some mountain, but they still have all the same human issues and problems we all have. They're struggling with those things, and they're looking to the Scripture, and they're looking to Jesus in prayer, and they're saying, help me, guide me, lead me, help me understand. Wonderful counselor, come and teach me. I remember years ago, I was going through a particularly dark season in my life, and here even pastoring the church, and I would go out around the lake, and I would walk around the lake, and I remember crying out to God as I prayed. I said, God, I, I need an advocate right now. I need somebody to help. I need somebody who's going to intervene on our behalf, and I need someone to be a counselor to me, and I remember just being aware one day as I was praying, being aware that he was my counselor. And he was wonderful, and I could trust him. And he wouldn't guide me wrong. The psalmist ca captured this in Psalm 23, right? He leads us in paths of righteousness for his own namesake. What's he saying? I'm going to lead you in the right way for my own reputation. Not, not even just for you, so that I'll look good. It's like God is saying, look, I'm going to give you good counsel because I don't want you to make me look bad. He's a wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. Now, this will blow you away. He's talking about a man, and he calls him mighty God. And this is our desire for a powerful hero to follow. This son, this child that was going to be born and given is a mighty God. And there's no way to explain this away in the original language except to acknowledge that the writer is saying that a human will be mighty God. This word mighty captures the idea of a hero. All of us are looking for a hero to follow or believe in. Our culture's love affair with athletes and superhero graphic novels and movies demonstrates the deep desire for us to have a hero that's worthy to follow. And Jesus is the ultimate hero. Human heroes continually fail us. That's why we have to make up fake ones. Right? But the mighty God who is a child and a son is a worthy hero to follow. You know, I can boldly say it, and many of you can. Jesus is my hero. When I grow up, I want to be like Jesus. Not like Captain America, not like Superman, and I don't even want to be like Mike. 
And that time in my life passed a long time ago anyway. And I never even was close, right? But I don't even want to be like Mike. You know what? I want to be like Jesus when I grow up. Because he's the perfect one. The perfect man. The personification of humanity in the truest and purest sense. You know, many times we say when we fail, I'm only human. But we, we betray something about our humanity when we say that we, we acknowledge our sinful humanity that needs redemption. But if you really want to know what the greatest human, who the greatest human ever was, and what true humanity looked like, the way God intended humanity to look in the first place, look at Jesus. He's the true hero, the true human, the truest, purest, best man ever. And he's God in the flesh. He's mighty God, our hero. And he's the everlasting father. I'm almost done here, but I, this is so important. Our desire for a true father figure. Listen, I don't want to take anything at all away from motherhood. Mothers are awesome and they're amazing. But if you look at every study that's been done, most of the ills within our society can be linked to the failure of fatherhood. Most inmates in prison are fatherless men and women. And even the best fathers fail, they falter, and ultimately die. But these words capture the idea of a fatherly leader who rules his people like a loving and wise father. He is eternal and will never fail, die, or leave us. He's the everlasting father. Isn't that good to know? He's the everlasting father. Because it's even sad in our world when you get a good dad. And he's meant so much to you, eventually he dies. And that can tear your heart out, but it's good to know that he was just merely reflecting something about the nature of the true father. And showing us the everlasting father, Jesus. And the last one is the prince of peace. Our desire for someone to bring peace. Jesus is the prince of peace. He's the only trustworthy leader who can truly overcome the war within the human heart that we have with God and our fellow man. You know, James, in the book of James, says, where do wars come from? And then he says they come from a battle going on inside of us. Wars aren't so much made up of bad foreign policy and the lack of negotiation, though we need to do both of those. We need to have good foreign policy and good negotiation. But where wars come from are warring hearts. Right? The grabbing, the wanting, the lust for something more, power, land, whatever it may be, the resources that that country has, that person has. And yet Jesus is the one who can bring peace. He's the Prince of Peace. Jesus brings peace to the human soul and then teaches us to spread his government of peace upon the earth by telling others about him and by living out his life. When we love people in Jesus' name, his peace spreads and begins to fill the earth. Have you ever been around someone that's full of the peace of God? I have. You get around them and it's just like, hey, can we just go sit down somewhere together? Can I just kind of rub up next to you? There's something about the peace of God that we're yearning for, that we're looking for. I don't know about you, but I, but 
you know, I, I, this time of the year, you just kind of feel like you're running here and there and you're being pulled and stretched and moved and the demands on you, the demands on your money, all those things that the culture tells you are important and you lose peace and you get all upset and you get uptight and your, your family's coming into town and you know how that can go, right? Right? Everybody's got a crazy uncle. You know what I'm talking about. Right? You just, you just never know. And you're concerned, oh, no. I know some of you right now are like, am I him? (laughs) I said that. Some of you are like, whoa, I'm the uncle. This is, this could be a problem. The peace of God is what he has for us. It starts in the human heart and works its way out. I love this illustration. Dr. S.D. Gordon tells of an old Christian woman whose age began to lead to memory failure. She'd once known much of the Bible by heart. Eventually, only one precious verse stayed with her. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I committed unto him against that day. She, that's all she could remember. Over time, parts of that scripture began to fade from her memory. And she would quietly repeat, that which I have committed unto him. At last, as she hovered on the borderline between this and the spirit world, her loved ones noticed her lips moving. They bent down to see if she needed anything. She was repeating over and over again to herself the one word of the text, him, him, him. She had lost the whole Bible, but that one word. But she had the whole Bible in that one word. Because Jesus is the message of the whole Bible. And that's why we're here. That's why we sing Silent Night. That's why we worship a baby in a feeding trough. That's why every year we hear the songs Because we're trying to remember the most important event in history, the actual hinge of human history that the door of all history turns upon, the greatest man that ever stepped out onto planet Earth, the one who's influenced all of Western civilization and continues to influence. That one is Jesus. Now, I know his followers mess it up all the time. I know we do horrific things in his name. Shame on us. I know over time we have distorted his image on many occasions, but if you'll just look in the book, crack the book and go look at him, you're going to see someone beautiful and profound and wonderful who will captivate your heart. And he did that in my life 34 years ago, and I've never been the same. And if you don't know him, can I I just encourage you, take a chance, huh? Go look, seek, knock, ask. The door will be open to you. He'll meet you in your wondering, and he'll meet you in your wonder. Amen? At this point, I have a video I'd like to show you, and then we're going to end with candle lighting. This is a really beautiful video, and the purpose of it is to get us to go deeper still and think. So hopefully, we're we're hoping it's going to work. Does it look like it's going to work? Beautiful. Okay, lights down. Let's watch this together. Look up. Look around. The space and sounds reveal something, a mystery, 
a beauty, a dignity seen in the cracks, the little patches of life that so often are missed, are blissfully showing a lesson. To learn and to grow how beautiful it seems, yet an ache can arise from the stretch. And yet, without the ache, how do we know we are feeling? Run, 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 shout the cars and the ads, but my soul is screaming back, rest, slow, feel, don't run from your heart. Something will start when I stop. Look, no, not surface, look deeper, yet deeper still. Go low, grow little, be amazed, be alert. End of 12 months, I'm tired, yet sleep will not fulfill. Embracing the paradox, alive yet at peace, awake but at rest, wounded yet healed, little yet strong in him. Ordinary becomes extraordinary in the light of his love. A babe, so soft and calm, was born with the heart of a lion cub ready to grow too. God in flesh. Humbling himself to share in our humanity so that we could share in his divinity. The king of the universe came for me, came for you, and he's coming back once more. Accepting these days with this in mind, every moment with Jesus a new thing to find, so whilst my to-do list grows, I know a greater thing is here. Why be the same when you can be different? I am not saying don't party, but do you know heaven's joy? I am not saying no presence, but do you know the real gift that awaits you on Christmas morn? I'm not saying don't prepare, but are we aware that real preparation starts inside, making myself a gift? An invitation then. Look, no, not surface, look deeper, yet deeper still. <laughs> 